They say small business is the backbone of America. So what's the best way to support a small business? It is to learn more about them and share with your family and friends. We interview founders from across the world who have started and scaled their business through the ups and downs, long hours, and the rewards that come from sacrificing their time to build their business. Welcome to First to Arrive, Last to Leave, the journey of an entrepreneur. All right, welcome to another episode of First to Arrive, Last to Leave. I'm Erin Greger here with Courtney Radoff. Courtney, welcome. Hi, hi. Fresh off the flight to Nashville for a conference. So you look very bright today. Oh, do I? It's the lighting. It's the lighting coming into the room. <laughs> All right. Well, we have another very special guest from Houston today. We're getting out of the Dallas realm. Uh, we have Robin Sturgis here of Inflow Fluency. I can't wait to talk to you, Robin, because Robin is all into all things data, but she didn't come in in 2019 and 2020 when data became cool. She started her business back in 2007. So she's the founder and CEO. She has over 25 years of experience in emerging technologies and cloud-based platforms, skilled in databases, data visualization, data management, data-centered uh, software. She leads the Influency team and specializes in bridging the gap between businesses and technology groups with her knack for putting together tech solutions um, in understandable business terms. Robin, I... I didn't tell you this before we recorded, but my friend and I got this brilliant idea. We were going to go for our master's in like data. So I, it was a very bad decision for me. So like I bow down to you that you do this for a living because uh, it's amazing. So Robin, welcome. Thank you. It is such an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys. Erin, I appreciate the invitation very much. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. Well, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about um, info. I keep wanting to say Influence, Info Fluency. Like the L just naturally wants to come out, but Info Fluency, uh, back in 2007, where you were and where you got this idea to start a company. Yes. Yeah, so back in 2007, I had three young daughters at home and I was doing database freelance work just to have some side hustle cash coming in. And I was referred to a venture capital firm that was starting up and um, they needed someone to manage their data from day one. So we developed a relationship. They are still our client today. And um, we have learned an immense amount about technology and about meeting the needs of businesses using their data through our work for them and then later for others. And so that's how we got our start. I, I think of it almost as an act almost accidentally that we started the way we did, but um, I wasn't looking to you know, start a company. I wasn't looking to do anything um, crazy or amazing, but over these years, it has become kind of crazy and amazing, um, but it was a very inauspicious start. So I have a question though, and cause maybe, and this could be just um, lack of knowledge, but when you go into a, a, a group like that, like a venture capital firm, do you need a lot of technology behind you too to be able to analyze these things? Or what, like, did you need a whole team and technology behind for your ability to do this? Or was it, you know, your consulting, it was you and then you were able to grow from there? It was me and we were able to grow from there, but we developed the technology and onboarded existing technology solutions as we went, as we were responding to the client's needs and what they were 
asking of us. So it just started, you know, as a as an initiative to track their data and to keep track of who they were in, what companies they were investing in and the performance of those companies over time. And then as their portfolio matured, it became a question of analytics and, you know, what are we going to do with this data? And they were pushing us to come up with solutions to enable and empower their strategic decisions about their future investments based on the performance of the investments that they had already made. So it's kind of an evolving process, honestly. Wow, that's amazing. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like that amount of information and being able to, um, I guess, scale it. How does that, how much time, how much time do you have to be collecting information to be able to, to, you know, to create something like that? As far as how long the, the client firm needs to be collecting data, mm -hmm. you know, shorter than a shorter amount of time than you would think. But basically the answer is from the day that they have revenue generating transactions, there's data that's worthy of being analyzed. And whether that's in, whether that is for a venture capital firm and their data is around investing or whether that's an operating firm and their data is around the dollars that they're billing and the dollars that are coming in, um, you know, they don't have to have too many transactions over very long before it becomes meaningful to start looking at, at what's happening in the, on the revenue side of the business. Now, it's so interesting because when I saw the venture capital on your, like when you're talking about different companies you work with, my thought process went to, oh, they must help, like help within the, the companies they invest in, right? That was where my first thought, but I didn't even think of the, at the higher umbrella, all of that's data, right? It's not, you know, everything is based on, all right, how is this performing? How, you know, what's happening? All this is doing, and it makes a lot of sense. And where did it go from? So you've got this portfolio, like you've got this venture capital firm, you're, you've got three kids at home, like I can't imagine. Um, and so you're building all this. At what point does that pendulum kind of turn where you're like, oh, now I need a team. Now this is much more than a freelance company. This is becoming much bigger. Right. Um, in the earlier days, probably the first two or three years, um, this venture capital firm started to grow very quickly and they were investing in funds, not directly into portfolio companies. So every time they made an investment, there were 30 to 50 companies to track data for. And as so it became very exponential. And so we very quickly needed more than just me. So I, in those early years, we grew to a team of three and we stayed at a team of three for the first, I don't know, maybe four years. We added another after that. And then um, that particular firm had grown to four of their own funds and they had, I guess it was maybe 126 underlying funds that they had invested in and they were managing, you know, managing the assets for over 1200 companies. So it was actually, that's not even the right number, 5,000 companies. So um, we were busy with them. We were learning as we went and we, um, we figured out pretty quickly how we could bring value to our client and how, what else we could do to extend what we were offering 
to strengthen their business. So was it, you started as like an independent contractor and, and then you moved into, you're like, oh, I can, I can turn this into my own business. When did that shift happen? Yes, that shift happened early days when it became apparent to me that at the very least I needed an LLC. And um, I, you know, was, I was a freelancer. I was inexperienced and I had come from corporate, from the corporate world where I didn't have to know anything about any of that. Um, so I was on a learning path from day one. So it started with this LLC. I added a few other general contractors. And then it wasn't until some years later before I, it, actually it was a Goldman Sachs um, experience that informed and educated me to say, oh, this team of mine needs to be W-2 employees. And we, I need hiring practices. I need an employee handbook. I need all of these things that I didn't know I needed. And so um, we really, I, I would say the business grew up <laughs> when I went through Goldman Sachs from um, just sort of this fledgling little LLC, me trying to figure it out to, to a, a level of maturity and, and uh, we started to embrace a tad of sophistication that we didn't have before. So what was your journey like as a leader? Because, you know, like you said, you came from corporate, you knew data, that's what you did. I mean, and obviously you do it brilliantly. Um, how has that shift been from, for you from a, this is what, you know, it's like the ultimate, like, in order to continue to do what I love, I have to make a business out of it, right? And and you're used to doing what you love. So how has that journey and that shift been for you going from, you know, what a, a practitioner and doing extremely well what you do versus to leading a full team and running a company now to be able to do that? I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'll ever figure it out. I mean, but yeah. <laughs> um definitely in process. And um, when we hit maybe five or six of us, I started really consuming leadership content and trying to build in those concepts. Um, I picked up a good amount in Goldman Sachs, but it was more, I would say, uh, how to be an employer than it was how to be a leader. So I, I continue to this day in seeking out uh, learning and proficiency at leading. Um, even in my corporate experience, I never managed a team. I mean, this is all new territory for me. So um, it, it is my intention and, and my desire to bring on a leadership coach at some point and really level up. Um, so that's definitely on my roadmap. I love that. So what do you think was like the biggest impact of the Goldman Sachs program? Oh, it's so hard to answer that in one biggest impact. How about, how was the trajectory of creating your growth strategy? Was that like, did you end up following through with it or did it change at all? Interesting question. Um, I was very, um, I loved that growth plan process and I was very um, optimistic and excited about the growth plan when I finished the program, but honestly, the growth plan for me kind of went to sleep during COVID. So I finished Goldman Sachs in December of 2019, you know, COVID hit in spring of 2020 and, and it wasn't because of COVID, but um, for a variety of reasons, that growth plan kind of 
just took a back seat and kind of became a sleeper. And it wasn't until we made a focus shift and a strategy shift at the beginning of this year that I returned to that growth plan and remembered all the reasons why I developed the growth plan around um, around the concept of offering pre-built collections of analytics as opposed to building everything from scratch for every client. So it's, I would say Goldman Sachs had a great impact because of the growth plan, but it just wasn't actualized until a couple of years later. So that's, but I would say to answer your question broadly, just the leveling up of every area of my business that Goldman Sachs empowered and educated me to do. I would say that's the summary because, you know, they hit every level, every area of operational processes and, and execution in a business. And it was just really a leveling up in every single area for me. So much I didn't know that I learned. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it's completely at a different level too. Like some of this, you're like, oh yeah, I know. But even there's things that I know, but it was that being forced to take that time out of my business and sit there and focus on those things that I knew I was supposed to do, but I wasn't doing, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, exactly. It's something like, well, you're supposed to budget. Well, I was budgeting, but Goldman Sachs like, no, you need a budget up here at this level. <laughs> and it was, a whole, it was a whole different, whole different mindset and a whole different uh, rigor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I know I'm going to guess uh, being in business for the length of time that you have, there's been a few ups and downs. I don't know. Maybe you've had the smooth sailing business that we all dream about having. But um, <laughs> what a, you know, what have been some of those obstacles that you've had to overcome as a business owner? You know, I, I like we, we briefly talked before, it's like woman in tech. Uh, you seem to be very it, I know data mining, all of that has been around for a very long time, but all of a sudden it has really become, you know, an it thing, right? So I don't want to say you were ahead of your time, but you were doing something that not as many people were in in an industry where now it's, you know, the rage, but all of these things, I can't, ima I'm, I can't imagine some of the bumps you've hit. So do you have any of those examples of, of the things you've had to overcome as you, you've grown to the size that you have? I would say there've been lots of small bumps. Um, I would say the only really uh, significant bump was, was what prompted our shift in focus and strategy at the beginning of this year. So things did go along, you know, more or less smoothly with just small bumps um, up until that point. And really I would think you know, sometimes the bumps are disguised as a high. And in my case, that that was true. So last year, um, we grew our team um, pretty aggressively. Um, we took some uh, outside money and we focused on expanding our business in venture capital. And that was the vertical that we were committed to growing in. And um, no disrespect to any venture capital ecosystem people listening here, but that was a very hard market to be successful in, even though that was our history. That was the market we had served. It was very hard to get in front of 
people in venture capital, even with great contacts, I mean, we had contacts in the industry, we knew people. It was very difficult to be, uh, be approaching them as a provider. You know, venture capitalists are approached all day long for startups raising money. And so they're accustomed to that and they're managing a, a large pool of capital, but they don't spend much on themselves. And they are very, as a whole, as a vertical in general, um, reticent to spend on their own technology and their own um, infrastructure as a company. So we were very surprised um, as we spent time and money and people resources trying to expand in that vertical and just hitting wall after wall. While, you know, we still have loads of friends, we have multiple clients in the space. We just found that growing there was so difficult. So um, we burned through a painful amount of cash. Um, we weren't able to retain the people that we had hired um, when we grew our team. And that was, you know, those two things together were very, were a, a pretty humbling and painful bump in the road. I like to call it tuition because honestly, we learned a great deal from it. I think that we're going to come out much better on and very successful on the other side of it. But um, wow, it was such a, that's it. It was a, a hard discovery to, to, get a year in and realize we are barking up the wrong tree. We're selling into the wrong vertical. We are not aligned in, you know, the startup world people would, or maybe all the business world people would say, you do not have product market fit here. And we thought we did. Mm, that's interesting. I know you talked about earlier too, about a big pivot you made in your business of going from, you know, like individual uh, customized. Was that part of that pivot too, where, you kind of were banging your head against the wall trying to create all this where you had this aha, there's got to be an easier way. Yes. Yes. So at the same time that we were selling, trying to sell into venture capital, we were gaining clients in, who were operators in the industrial and manufacturing space. And we found it was just shocking. It was like, well, that was really easy. That sales process was smooth. There was no friction um, what they want, we can deliver. And um, we just kind of took a pause in beginning of Q4 of last year and thought, there are some real commonalities here um, in what these this sector of client is asking us for and the ease at which we can deliver it and the value it was bringing to them. And so really all that was around revenue analytics. And they were all in some way, shape or form asking to understand what was bringing revenue to their business and really understand what were the commonalities between their best, their best, most lucrative clients. And then the next tier down, their kind of medium clients, what were, what did they have in common? So they were all asking for this and we thought, well, okay, we can package this up. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we can package this up. The most broadly applicable parts of this solution will offer you know, to, to the market as something packaged. And in, as we were working on that and we were putting together our demo materials, we just used it on ourselves. And 
it was so enlightening and so confirming because it informed our strategy decisions at the time that we were seeking to inform the strategy decisions of our clients. And so what we learned from it was that the what I'll call the middle um, segment of our client base, which was those um, industrial and uh, manufacturing clients, they were all kind of what I would call lower middle market firms making annual revenue of like 15 million to about 75 million. They all had very similar technology, they had very similar needs, and they were all asking for these revenue analytics. So that was such an aha moment for us to use our own tool on ourselves. This, this is the market, this is the product, this is where we need to focus. And we were also able to see, well, okay, how did those, how did we come into relationship with those customers? and looking at the lead source. Well, it was all referrals. And so we were, you know, without our own tool, I don't know that we could have put that together, but suddenly we had this ideal customer profile that we could then um, really create a marketing strategy around. So our business development director just, you know, hit the ground running in January and we started, you know, launching this, this um, package solution and, um, just, you know, hitting the market hard. And it's been pretty amazing, honestly. How does it look on the back end from a perspective of running a company that's 100% services based, right? Service for service from income to a packaged, maybe, you know, with some customization, whatever. How has that how has that shifted the business model? And has that have you had to do anything differently running a company that has made that shift? I think that there will be more change ahead of us than we've seen so far. Because honestly, it's still early days. It's only been a few months. Um, but we are shifting to a pricing model that at least has some component of recurring revenue, you know, re retainer base, so a SaaS model, um, where we haven't had that in the past. Before, we've all been, you know, hourly time and materials model. And so, It'll be interesting to see how that business model shift does affect the business and does affect other decisions. Um, the one place that we have seen uh, a change is that we need to figure out how to invoice our customers easily and smoothly on this recurring basis, as opposed to manually sending out, you know, highly customized invoices every single month. So just the technology and the, the integration with QuickBooks and all those things for shifting to that model is something we're still wrestling with. Do they pay like just a straight monthly retainer or is it like database where they have like a minimum and then depending on what is done, what's reported, you know, more data, higher costs, like how do you, is it, is it easy to manage that monthly bill outside of, you know, obviously the monthly billing, but or are there different levels? Yeah, so our model is to, uh, that that monthly uh, retainer amount is based on how many dashboards they're subscribing to and how many data sources they have flowing into the dashboards. So they pay a set fee based on those, um, those considerations and then also an implementation fee that is done just hourly for us to set those data connections up you know, at the outset. 
so we'll see how it goes, but that's the that's the working model at the moment. And we, we think that's gonna be attractive to people. So when it comes to your uh, like building a team, you started with three and then you've had these sort of adjustments along the way and people have not fallen off, but have maybe had to move on. Where are you now? Like how, what's the next plan to like um, retain? How many people do you need? Yes. Um, that too is yet to be seen um, because this is our shift does have implications for staffing. Um, you need a different amount of staffing to deliver a recurring product. You know, when you're just uh, kind of churning out the same thing versus when you're in the past, our whole staff has been creating from scratch. And that's much more uh, people intensive than what we're looking at now. So I think the answer will be somewhere between our current staff and some modest additions. I think we'll put us probably in a, a place to deliver what we need to deliver through the end of the year. And then I would say by that time, I'd be in a position to really be informed enough to evaluate what does our staffing need to look like. Um, have you had have you had to mitigate anything from a perspective of like I came from the IVR world? That's where um, and we'd come in and be like, oh, we're going to build this great thing. And people would just be freaking out because they thought they were going to lose their jobs. Right. And this was many years ago. So as you're building this model, have you had to like over communicate or mitigate anything with your staff, you know, to know like, hey, I know we're kind of moving over to this a different place. We're going to the business model is changing where you've had to like, you're still needed. We're still going to have, you know, have you had to do anything like that with the staff just to make sure they understand that their jobs are still there or they're still, you know, going to be in positions that they're fulfilled in? Yes. Um, definitely getting um, what I would call requests for reassurance from the staff and, um, that goes back, I think, to the leadership question. And I feel personally like I have so much to learn and I can do so much. Um, there's so much improvement that I can make in how I communicate and how I am supportive of the staff. Um, so I don't I don't think I've excelled in that area, I, but I'm trying to learn and I, I aim to improve all the time and do a much better job. And even just you asking that question reminds me that I need to be even more intentional in reassuring every one of them that, you know, that, that they are a priority and I'm, I don't take their contribution to our team lightly. No, it's hard. You got, you got all these balls in the air and you, and you're, I'm, I'm not saying what your personality is, but my guess is you're very, you're data driven, right? It's very black and white to you. Like that's me too. It's like, well, of course you'd stay like that. Like I'm not worried about that. Right. And so it's like, you have to put on that the empathy hat and think outside or, you know, think in the gray area. Right. Cause it's very, yeah. Which I know for me is very difficult, very difficult. It's very difficult. Yes. And just trying to keep in mind the wiring of every different, per, you know, every person's different, try to keep in mind you know, who they are and what's important to them, what drives them. It's, there's so many factors. Yeah. Whoever said this business stuff is easy. Yeah, they were crazy. <laughs> so will you, 
expand this into other industries or are you going to, I know you said, you know, kind of for this year assess, but is the goal where a tweak here, a tweak there, you could actually go into other industries and, and utilize the same product you've built? Probably. I mean, I'm thinking, yes, we could do that. But my inclination is to first broaden the number of products we offer to the same industry. And then as that grows and, and gains traction, then I, I would assume that other industries will sort of naturally suggest themselves. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I already have all these other ideas in my mind of other pre-built collections that would serve well. And, you know, there's so much to be done in that area before we even think about new additional verticals. And that's so much easier to add on to existing clients versus keep hunting for new clients. Well, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So much information because my brain doesn't work from an analytics perspective. So I'm like, what kind of data are you capturing? Like, what are key points that are that um, that you're tracking for your customers, you know, so that they're able to like, what are the key points? Yeah. So um, it's honestly pretty um, more simplistic than you would think. So the revenue analytics, honestly, we are looking at what our client billed to their customers, you know, how, how much money was billed um, to who. So who is that customer? What did they buy? So what's the product name? And then um, in an ideal world, they're keeping track of some characteristics of their customers, like what industry their customers are in or how their customers came to them. So like lead source. Um, maybe something like the company size of their of their customer um, it might be um, a more complex situ a more complex data structure from the pr product standpoint you know they might sell 20 products and they might have sub products and that kind of thing so it's not complex data at all um, but what does come into play is is the amount of data that the customer is keeping track of and how clean that data is. And so lots of times, um, myself included, honestly, I can be guilty of this too, is being sloppy in, in recording data about my customers. And then that comes back to, to bite when you want to really understand the industries you're selling into and you've, you've entered the same industry name three different ways, or you just haven't even tracked the industry of your customer. So it's, it comes down to a data quality question more so than a complexity of the data that we're, we're tracking. And, you know, it's really also pretty simple of how we get the data. So we're just connecting to the accounting package or the, the um, whatever software is doing the invoicing. And then if they have some kind of a customer system like a HubSpot or a Salesforce or some other sort of CRM system like that, then we're tapping into that to pull all those customer attributes. So is it more, would you say, on the accounting side versus like the analytics and the data on the production side? Or is it, do they, do they go hand in hand? Um, I would say more on the accounting side and I, that accounting term a lot of times kind of means financial statements to people. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about pulling the 
in the accounting package, that's what that's where the data lives that for their revenue for their customers. So that's where that comes into play. Um, but not so much of the operational data, like inventory or project management or that kind of thing, though we've done work in those areas. But for this revenue analytics package, that doesn't come into play so much. Cool. I know because I know a lot of the discussion for us as a manufacturer comes around the amount of data that we can pull from a production perspective and then how that affects our accounting, right? Like how we can buy and, like, and all of that. So it's really curious. I'm very curious just the amount of information that you're retaining in just one category and could you lateral and go into other categories? Most definitely, which is where we can see growth as as our customers start to see, you know, some benefit in using analytics in running their business, then I can, I already can guess what the next requests will be. They'll say, oh, well, if this is effective in, in making strategic and sales decisions, well, what about, you know, the manufacturing? What about the inventory? What about the purchasing? You know? We have a, a platform we're using right now and we go in and it can tell us down to like the cent how much money is being spent and used each day. And it's fascinating to me because I've never looked at things that way. We've always looked at by a case by case basis, but this is like, this is like a, a forecasting tool. Um, so it's even just you talking about it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, it's, this is fascinating to me because I don't understand it the way that you guys understand it. Like Aaron's questions are so like, thoughtful and she's like talking about data and I'm like, I just wish I could understand a piece of it. But when you start talking about like how the manufacturing works and how to gather that data and how it affects the accounting side, that to me is really interesting. Yeah. And you know, you say that the challenge and the, the way that I um, desire to do our business or to deliver our service is to make the data easily digestible and understandable to the person who's not data focused. You know, we, it's our aim to put it in visual terms and make it attractive and easy and interactive, you know, very lots of filters and, you know, extra information when you move the mouse and things that make it really digestible to everyone so that you don't have to have a data mindset to have that, you know, get value from it. Yeah. I mean, even just like you're talking about it, and I'm wondering, like, there's certain things that pop up that are probably like just a little quick. Um, quick information. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that's how that, that function worked and how, you know, to, to look at it. So that's really cool. And so as you, as you build, what do you think the next like component that you might add to your existing system? Mm. Um, it would be, I was just talking to someone else about this today. It would be adding the insights to what we're presenting because in our history, we've said, well, here's your data. Here is it in a visual form you know, charts, graphs, dashboards, you know, draw your conclusions from here, you know, here you go. And so I think the next step for us is to add the insights piece to say, based on, on what this month's data is showing us visually, we'll offer some insights, which of course, you know, the customer would bring their own set of understanding and, and uh, strategy into that thinking, but we could at least start by offering some basic insights to draw their attention to outliers or opportunities that we see in the business. I think it's so important because, I mean, if there's one thing Goldman Sachs teaches you, it's how important numbers are in your business. Now, 
Obviously, that's from an income imbalance and cash flow and all of that perspective. However, I believe in from a business perspective, and I can't say I'm the best at this, it's a numbers game in every different component of everything. So obviously, you've got the income side, but then the more you know about those insights, the more you know where your money's going and to the more specific and leveling down those degrees, all the numbers of your business. And you have like to your point, Robin, where, okay, now I now I see these. Okay, now help me make sense of these. What does this mean exactly? But the as if you can continue to drill down and drill down and drill down from marketing, from operations to everything of your business, the more you understand those numbers, the more power you have to build a successful business. I just truly believe it's a it's a giant numbers game, you know. Right. And I just think too that it's one thing to know the numbers, but to me, Goldman Sachs illustrated that I need to understand how the numbers in one area of the business affect the numbers in, in another area of the business. You know, yeah. one thing to understand my revenue, but well, do I understand my profit, you know, the profitability piece? Do I understand how, you know, the pay rates for the team factor in? You know, there's it's just all interrelated and it's so important to understand the relationships, not just, you know, the data for one individual part of the business. Yeah, I know. I wish I had a, so much, so much that we've learned yet so far to go. So, uh, <laughs> well, Robin, thank you so much for doing this today. If somebody wanted to find out more about you, uh, find out more about your company, where is the best place they should go? Yes. So I would say our website is pretty informative, um, infofluency.net and, um, front and center, we've got a landing page there that's, that expands on this revenue management that I've mentioned that we're launching. And um, so, yeah, that or LinkedIn, my profile's, you know, Robin Sturgis, um, InfoFluency as a company page. And so both of those sources would be great ways to connect. Awesome. And we'll have all that over on our notes page at First Arrive, Last to Leave. So, Robin, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it.